So today we begin a sermon series that will take us through the season of Lent, a series that we are calling Journey to Jerusalem. It was inspired in part by the travels of a number of members of this congregation, as well as Christ Church Frederica and Temple Beth Tefilla in Brunswick and individuals representing a smattering of other churches up and down the eastern seaboard, a pilgrimage of sorts that we took this past summer, this past May and June, from this community all the way to Israel and Jordan. As part of this series, at different points, we'll be inviting some of those travelers to come and share both visually in picture, but also in voice, their experiences, what they saw, what they learned, how they were changed. This series, though, is also meant to reflect the fact that Jesus, six weeks roughly from now when we get to Holy Week, Jesus doesn't just show up in Jerusalem. That there are places and there are people in Jesus' life, particularly in his adult ministry, that impact him, that shape him, that form him, that prepare him for the events that we will encounter in Holy Week again. The cross trial, and eventually the glory of Easter Sunday. And so our first stop on this journey to Jerusalem is the wilderness. There's a picture I took this summer from the very top of Masada. Anyone here been to Masada? A few? Masada is this unbelievable fortress built some 2,000 years ago on top of a cliff looking over the Dead Sea. It was occupied by the Hasmonean dynasty and later by the Jewish people who had fled Jerusalem during the Jewish revolt of 66 AD. It's an amazing place to go and see. But the thing I remember most is this view. Because when you are up there on top of that cliff, walking around Masada, in every direction, no matter where you look, all you see is the wilderness. And the wilderness of Judea, the wilderness that would have looked a lot like this for Jesus in the story we are about to read, it's hot. The day we went, it was so hot that they shut the trail down at 4 a.m. If you weren't hiking by 4 a.m., they wouldn't let you attempt. You had to take the cable car. It's desolate. Even today, there's hardly anything out here. And the things that are out here rely on people far away to supply them for their survival. It is devoid, seemingly, of life. And yet I think in the story we are about to read from Matthew's gospel, we find that this stop on Jesus' journey is perhaps his most important. So let us listen once more for God's word, hearing these verses from the fourth chapter of Matthew's gospel, the story of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. Matthew begins... Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Once more, the devil took him to a very high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All of this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. Friends, this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Journeying God. Journey into the midst of our wilderness this day. Meet us wherever it is we are as we enter this space in this time. O oh God, send your spirit that it will light upon each of our hearts, that the words of my mouth and the meditations we ponder upon will be glorifying to you. For you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The first stop on Jesus' journey to Jerusalem may be the most important stop. I don't think y'all need me to tell you what your wilderness is. I think we all know what our wildernesses are. They're the places of pain, the places of suffering, of anxiety maybe. They're those places where we are tempted, where we feel alone. They're the places that feel a lot like that picture from Masada looks, right? Desolate, devoid of life, dangerous even perhaps. I think whenever we enter those wilderness places or those wilderness seasons, our natural human instinct is to detour around them if we can. And if we can't, then I think we go to the second best option, which is to distract ourselves, to somehow numb ourselves to whatever it is we are experiencing. And that looks like a lot of different things. For some of us, that looks like burying ourselves in work. For others of us, it looks like binge-watching HBO or Netflix. Still, for others, it looks like this carefully constructed facade of just how great our lives are. A facade that we spend our every waking hour trying to sell to anyone who will listen. 
Our instinct is to detour, to distract, to numb ourselves to those wilderness places. And yet in this story, I find myself wondering if perhaps the wilderness, perhaps the wilderness is where God does God's most important work. So a year, year and a half ago now, someone in the church gave me a book. I have a stack of books. At some point in my life, I'll get to them all. I'm a slow reader. This book sat on the shelf for a little while, but in the last few months, I pulled it down. It's by an author I really like, Doris Kearns Goodwin. She's a historian. She's written a lot of different biographies. Team of Rivals was one about Abe Lincoln. This book is called Leadership in Turbulent Times. Now, I'm not sure why this person thought I needed this book, but <laughs> nonetheless... And part of the book is biography. It's the biography of four presidents, of Abe Lincoln, Teddy Roosevelt, FDR, and Lyndon Johnson. It tells the stories of these men's lives and how their lives and their upbringing ultimately shaped the leaders and the people that they begin. But the most interesting part about this book is this middle section where she talks about how each one of these men, each one of these great leaders experienced a wilderness season experience some profound crisis in their lifetimes. So for Abe Lincoln, he first came up in Illinois state politics, and he had a grand vision for making this wilderness state at the time one of the states that had the best infrastructure in the United States. It was a great vision until a recession hit, and it fell to pieces. And that, combined with a failed relationship, sent him into a deep, deep depression. FDR, of course, was struck with polio, and at first it looked like that awful disease might very well stop his ascending political career in its tracks. Lyndon Johnson lost an election for the Senate in Texas, and then later he had a heart attack, and both of those events equally almost killed him. The one I find most interesting, though, is Teddy Roosevelt. Some of you all might know this story already. Teddy Roosevelt was born in New York City into a family of relative prominence. His father was a businessman and a philanthropist. He went to Harvard and Columbia Law. He was ascending through the ranks of New York state politics rapidly as a very young man. Until one day when he was 26 years old arrived. In one 12-hour span, in the same house in Albany, New York, both his beloved mother and his beloved wife, who had just given birth to their first child, died. Teddy Roosevelt kept a detailed journal of everything that happened in his life every single day almost. On that day, though, there appears in his journal an X, and eight words that say, the light has gone out of my life. Roosevelt was cast into a wilderness. But what's interesting about his story is that in response, he literally cast himself into the wilderness. He moved out to the badlands of South Dakota. Now, I've been to North Dakota, 
not South Dakota, and I've seen what wilderness there looks like today in the 21st century, I can only imagine what the badlands were like at the beginning of the 20th century. I mean, it was the wilderness. Doris Kearns Goodwin writes about this particular chapter in his life, saying that Roosevelt retreated west, seeking an estate of nature, not gentle balm, but a test, a strenuous challenge. Does that sound like any other story we have read this morning? Seeking in the state of nature a test, a challenge, where he might confront his deadened heart and his fear of intimacy and somehow renew confidence in himself and in a future where he might become a genuine luminary a guide and leader. He spent two years in the wilderness, tending cattle and caring for the land. And yet it was in the wilderness where he discovered some of the most profound things that shaped and guided the living of the rest of his days. He discovered there in his wilderness that though he was lonesome, he was not alone. That though he was hungry, he was not famished. That though he was tired, he was not dead. It was there in the wilderness where that deadened heart began to find its beat again. Where that fear was gradually replaced by courage. And where that need for renewed confidence was met by renewed life. It was in the wilderness where some of the most important and formative things happened in Teddy Roosevelt's life. Barbara Brown Taylor, the Episcopal priest and author, she sees something similar in this wilderness experience of Jesus. She wonders, what did the wilderness do to Jesus? And her conclusion is this, it freed him. She writes, after 40 days in the wilderness, Jesus had not only learned to manage his appetites, he had also learned to trust. To trust that the spirit that had led him there would lead him out again. To trust with the kind of clarity and grit that he could not have found anywhere else. Anyone who wants to follow Jesus all the way to the cross, she writes, and that's where we're headed on this journey, friends. Anyone who wants to follow Jesus to the cross needs the kind of clarity and grit that is found only in the wilderness. The wilderness may be where God does God's most important work. I want to be clear, though, Because I don't want you to walk away thinking to yourself that God wills bad things to happen in order to teach people a lesson. It's interesting because in the four Gospels, John doesn't mention anything about the wilderness. Mark simply says Jesus was cast into the wilderness, nothing about the temptations. Luke lists the temptations, but God's role in it is unclear. Only Matthew, only this version says that God led Jesus into the wilderness. And I have to be honest with you, I don't quite know what to do with that. But when I step back and I look at the biblical witness as a whole, and I look at the Gospels together, 
what I find is a God who does not will bad things to happen, but rather a God who goes with us into the wilderness. A God who can use our wilderness seasons, our wilderness chapters to form in us clarity and grit. A God who can use the wilderness to help wean us from our appetite for those things that do not and will never fill us in the ways we hope and imagine they will. Things like money and lust and power. Things like status and popularity. God uses the wilderness to wean us from those things that will not ultimately fill us. God uses the wilderness to help us begin to trust that the same spirit that leads us in will lead us out. And here's the thing, it doesn't happen overnight, right? How long is Jesus in the wilderness? 40 days. 40 is a significant number in the Bible. 40 days of the flood, 40 years in the wilderness for the Israelite. I don't think that 40 here is meant to be read as the literal number of days Jesus was in the wilderness. I think it's meant to say he was there for a long time. Longer, perhaps, than was comfortable. And I think we know in our own wilderness experiences how it can feel like it drags on and on and on. But God can use that time to free us. To free us to follow all the way to the cross. I have this friend whose name is Tom. Tom once led one of the largest churches in New York City. It was large when he got there, and it was even larger by the time he left. He was a highly respected preacher in our denomination. People desired to sit in the pews and hear what it is he had to say. He spent much of his ministry in this church advocating for the poor and homeless of that city. He went on national television more than once. He, he went to City Hall and fought with the legislators there for policies that were fair and just. But Tom made a mistake late in his career. And it was a mistake that ultimately led to his untimely resignation, a resignation that some felt came in disgrace. Tom entered into the wilderness. He felt that spiral into a dark depression. That depression that comes when people look up to you and, and depend on you and suddenly you have let them down. There's this moment Tom remembers long into this wilderness season on the dark night of a New York City winter where he was emerging from a subway station, still very much in the midst of the wilderness. He was all bundled up against the cold, and as he came up out of the staircase, he heard someone from across the street yell, Tom! Tom, that's you! He looked across the street, and there was a homeless man in a doorway, yelling to him, Tom! Tom, I just want you to know you're still my pastor. Tom, I just want to say thank you for what you have done for us. When Tom tells this story, you hear in his voice that that moment was likely not unlike 
when the angels came to attend on Jesus. This moment of grace and forgiveness. The way Tom tells the story is he says, in that moment, I knew that my life was not over. Tom is a mentor of mine. Tom is someone I look up to. Tom has come out of this season of repentance, out of the season of asking for forgiveness, out of the season of prayer, as a man who embodies what resurrection can look like. It freed him that moment on the street to know that even one person saw him in his wilderness even one person loved him. Here's the thing, I don't know what wilderness you're in today. I suspect all of us are in one wilderness or another though. I want us to remember. Remember the lesson of Jesus' time in the wilderness. I want you to remember that though you may be hungry in your wilderness, you will not hunger. I want you to remember that though you may be lonesome in your wilderness, you are not alone. I want you to remember that though you may be tired, tired to the bone, you are not dead. Your life, it is not over. I want you to remember your baptism. Aaron pointed out to me last night, the last thing Jesus does before going into the wilderness is his baptism. And a voice speaks from above saying, you are my son, the beloved. That's our baptism too. In the midst of our wildernesses, we are still loved. <clears throat> Friends, I want you to remember, most of all this day, the journey, wherever you are on it, the journey does not end in the wilderness. Now, friends, the journey has only just begun. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.